Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive. We are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money. We can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the Open state. Base Liberty episode 21. Darren Wisely here, as always, happy to be with you. Today is Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. And I haven't mentioned yet, I did have another article published. Um, this one was called Martial Law. It's about John Marshall, who I've also done an episode on. That's in Being Libertarian. You can check out that article on my website, choosewisely.org, wisely, W-I-S-E-L-E-Y, if that interests you. As always, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If it's Apple, Google, Spotify, or YouTube, Cost you nothing to share it with your friends, but it'll be a big help for us to grow the page, to get the real information out there amid all the fact-free hysteria going on. If you haven't left a review, a five-star review will really help us out as well. So, hey, thanks again for the support. As I've been saying, we've really seen the show take off the last couple of weeks, and it's just going to encourage me to keep giving multi-episode weeks like I am here. And I really hope you enjoyed Monday's episode. So that being said, COVID week's going to continue, and last or uh, Monday we talked about the Michigan Supreme Court decision, and today I wanted to point out um, some a general theme that really inspired this week, because you have the Karens on there on Facebook saying, you want people to die. Or basically, equate. I've had this happen, you probably have too, equating you with murder or at the least manslaughter for going out in public because you could have COVID. Not that you have it and are knowingly transmitting it. You could have it. It's a 1% chance you have it and give it to someone else and there's a 1% chance you die. Therefore, you're a murderer. Eh, no, nah, not exactly. It's silly, but these people are so unhinged. They're so hysterical. That that's what it's come to. So in this episode, I want to talk about the economic effects of these shutdowns. Because what it really goes to is as Bastiat, and we're definitely going to have a Bastiat episode here soon. He's a huge inspiration to me. But he talks about, and Henry Hazlitt kind of expanded on this, the seen and the unseen. So if government... Uh, builds a bridge, you say, look at that beautiful bridge the government built. And that's what you see. But what you don't see is what could have been built in that place. What that money could have been used for. Maybe something more efficient. Maybe something more economically viable. Maybe something that better serves the community than this bridge. Maybe we didn't need that bridge. Maybe we already had one right next to it. Maybe we needed to improve the school or the transportation system. Or maybe if that money stayed in the taxpayers' own pockets, they could have used it for things they actually wanted. 
That's the seen versus the unseen. You can't just look at what's in front of you. You have to look at what something is done at the expense of, kind of like opportunity cost. But these people don't understand that at all, of course. These COVID Karens. And it's real telling that they're willing to shut down an entire economy over something that is so overblown. Yes, it, it's real. Yes, you can die from it. But just being concerned about one aspect of life and that minutia takes away from the broader scope. And let me get into that. You know, UNICEF said this summer that tens of millions of children have died as a result of these shutdowns. So we're the ones who want people to die because we want to go to work and keep businesses open and not have people die of depression, suicide, have domestic violence, have divorces, substance abuse. We're the bad guys. Oh, they're fine with all that. When you call out that, they have no answer. Those are facts you need to keep in mind. I'm not going to get stuck into debating the percentages. The, you know, um, you can do that. But you have to look at the better argument is the other side. What's it at the expense of? The seen versus the unseen. They're demagoguing the issue is what they're doing. You, who in your family is going to die? You must want your grandma to die, they say. That's demagoguing the issue. But I say this. What kind of a civilized society sacrifices the young for the old? So I was really on to this. From the beginning, I knew shutting things down. Of course, in the beginning, we thought this might be worse. Even I did. Um, but I knew you can't just shut down an economy. It's ridiculous. It's Things have to be made. So I wrote an article about this. This article was published in the Imaginative Conservative. You can find it on my website, choosewisely.org, or you can go to their website and read it. And I'm just going to go through it because this was published on April 6, 2020, before the Republican legislature was even trying to fight this. I knew... You know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or pat myself on the back, but if you just understand economics, you know you can't just shut down an economy. Well, this is about one aspect of these shutdowns and the economic effects. And on our last episode, I'm going to go into a broader aspect and hit it from another perspective. Well, in this episode, I'm going to talk about this article again. This was written August, April 6, 2020. Just a few weeks into these shutdowns. Now we're half a year into them. So here's the articles titled, Are Any Jobs Really Non-Essential? So this is the whole essential versus non-essential. And I really just dismantled this argument and wanted to provide a basis to people who who maybe saw that, okay, this is arbitrary, this doesn't make sense, but why is it? And why is this arbitrary? Are these arbitrary lines going to be hurtful for us in the long run? So this is less to, this article is not as much about talking about the seen versus the unseen or the opportunity cost, but just talking about how the economy is all interconnected. 
So I say, the massive, effect, the massive impact of the coronavirus has led to more than half of U.S. states imposing lockdown restrictions on social contact and gathering. Many states have also ordered closure of all non-essential businesses. Those that are deemed essential vary by state and are exempt from closure in whole or in part. In Michigan, for example, Governor Whitmer signed Executive Order 2020-21 on March 23, 2020, requiring all Michigan residents to stay in their home unless they are an essential worker, are getting necessities like food and gas, or taking care of a loved one. The problem, of course, is what defines an essential worker. The ambiguity has already become sort of a meme. On social media, those who are still conducting business as usual can be seen poking, pun, <laughs> poking fun at the fact by proclaiming their importance as an essential employee. But in reality, they really are essential employees. And if you have been laid off due to the crisis, don't worry. You are essential too. The statement wasn't made to boost your self-esteem, but to point out a fact that can be easily understood with a better understanding of how the economy works. This is not to argue whether shutdown should occur or debate what precautions should or should not be taken due to the coronavirus threat. That is a much larger issue beyond the scope of this essay. I simply want to point out that there is no such thing as a non-essential employee by applying the wisdom of the 1958 essay by Leonard Reed, I Pencil, we will see just that. So again, I'll get into the broader scope of the shutdowns in the next episode. But this is just going to talk about the economy. So the next heading, I Pencil. The classic essay details the power of the market. 1976 Nobel laureate Milton Friedman said of it, I know of no other piece of literature that so succinctly, persuasively, and effectively illustrates the meaning of both Adam Smith's invisible hand, the possibility of cooperation without coercion, and Friedrich Hayek's emphasis on the importance of dispersed knowledge and the role of the price system in communicating information that will make the individuals do the desirable things without anyone having to tell them what to do. Friedman went on to put this in his 1980 TV show, Free to Choose. Show Free to Choose. iPencil tells the story of a pencil in first-person form. The pencil laments being taken for granted on a daily basis and remarks that despite appearing so simple, there really is not a single person on the face of the earth that knows how to make me. Pencil discusses the complex but unseen process that goes into its creation. It starts by tracing its family tree derived from cedarwood grown in Oregon and Northern California. The pencil descri describes all the gear used in harvesting such large amounts of cedar. Saws, axes, ropes, motors, chains, as well as the manpower needed to forge such tools to begin with. Lumberjacks, mill workers, truck drivers, and cement pourers. The pencil then describes the cedar logs that are cut into thin slats that are kiln-dried and waxed to achieve their yellow color. The mill sweepers, truck drivers, and gasmen who supply electricity. The pencil factories that cost upward of $4 million in machinery and building practices. And the complex process of carving eight grooves, laying graphite from Sri Lanka, and applying glue. Next are the miners, toolmakers, paper sack producers, and seemingly 
unrelated lighthouse keepers who ensure the delivery of shipments of raw materials and finished products. The graphite is mixed with Mississippi clay and ammonium hydroxide for refinement. The manufacturing process continues to be detailed through various components of the pencil's physical makeup, including ferrule factus, pumice, and six coats of lacquer. Sorry if I mispronounced some of those words. <laughs> Much easier when you're typing it. The pencil notes that through this process, the absence of a mastermind at work, only the invisible hand guiding the process through human imagination. The pencil praises this ingenuity in miraculously taking these raw materials from nature and through all these steps, turning them into a pencil. So next heading is applying this lesson to the current crisis. An important lesson iPencil teaches us is that there are so many unseen parts that go into the finished product of a pencil. Every person and material in this interconnected web, even though they may never see or come into contact with each other, has their part to play. Without any piece of this puzzle, the finished product cannot come into existence. This leads us to an important dilemma at the present, the essential versus non-essential job distinction. With the number of coronavirus cases growing, no one in their right mind would argue that doctors, nurses, and other medical staff are not essential. Similar to the story in iPencil, however, the process by which medical care is provided is much more complex than meets the eye. There are copious amounts of medical equipment needed to combat the virus, such as masks, gloves, tools, and medication. These products start out as raw materials which are harvested by laborers, then shipped by truckers to factories, where more employees then assemble them at said factories. Products are then shipped again to warehouses where they are stored until they are again shipped to hospitals, where they are stored until used by medical staff or patients. As you can see, countless employees all across the country or even globe are needed in the production of medical equipment. Taken in isolation, one of these jobs might seem non-essential, but when looking at the entire economic picture, there's always more than meets the eye. Even amid the pandemic, there are many human needs that are imperative for survival. Food, water, clothing, and shelter, to name a few. That becomes much larger when looking at necessities for basic comfort, electricity, heat, indoor plumbing, the list goes on. Pick any of these items and the same complex formula used to create the pencil can be applied. Conclusion. The economy is such a vast, complex creature, there's always more than meets the eye. The lesson learned from the timeless wisdom in iPencil is definitely applicable today. I urge those that think a certain job or industry is non-essential to look at the bigger picture and see how the economy is a vast, interconnected web. I, for one, believe that in a crisis like this, being able to get medical care to those infected is as important as ever to heal the sick and minimize the spread of the virus. That's why I know there is no such thing as a non-essential job. So I hope you guys enjoyed that and I made the point clear. And it, it's a great thing. You know, the, these COVID Karens who don't want people going to work, who want businesses shutting down, if you said to them, well, do you think we need masks? Oh, oh, yeah, we need masks. Well, who's going to make them? I mean, they're not going to come out of thin air. So just the mask, which I think the mask thing is dumb. You don't see me wearing one. That's not, But besides that point, people have to work to make it. 
So these people are so limited in their scope. They're just thinking about, oh, how do we not get the virus? Okay, but how do you get the things to prevent the spread of it? How do you get the medicine? How do people pay for these things? They need to work. You can't have all the medical equipment but not have a way to make it or not a way to pay for it. That's just not how it works. These people had a little bit of an expanded scope. If they understood basic economics, they would get this stuff. But if they understood basic economics, they wouldn't be COVID Karens. So hope you enjoyed this episode. COVID week will continue here on Friday. And I think you'll love that one. It'll be in depth, in detail. Now you've got a little bit more to bolster your argument about why we don't just want to kill grandma, but in fact, we want to save grandma. We want to save the children and save civilization because if no one's working and no one's producing, we're not going to last very long. Take care and we'll see you on Friday.